This week on the Metal Shop Podcast. Hey, come on, Jeff, one more. Right, 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 right. Who'd win in a wrestling match, Lemmy or God? Lemmy. God. Wrong, dickhead. Trick question. Lemmy is God. Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Metal Shop Podcast with me, Big Frog. And me, Mike Castleberry. And this week we are doing part two of Motorhead. Now, the cool thing about doing a part two is that you get to listen to the part one and realize how many things you forgot to talk about. So, oh, for sure. So we're going to throw in some of those things. Before we get to any of that, there was uh, some sad news in the metal world today with the passing of Martin Birch. Yeah, he passed away uh, a couple days ago. That was on uh, uh, Sunday. Uh, I mean, 71 is a good age for like a guy that has been heavily involved in metal. <laughs> for sure. You'd think, uh, yeah, he, those are definitely uh, high-quality years that he got. And, um, I mean, Martin Birch is, he's a legend, man. I mean, you know. Maiden albums, Sabbath albums, Deep Purple albums, Rainbow albums. He's all over yeah. heavy metal. I mean, White Snake, Blue Oyster Cult. Yeah. And even before that, it's interesting that he got he got his fingerprints all over metal because then because he had done you know a bunch of Fleetwood Mac records. Um, he's done you know Jeff Beck. Peter Green after he left Fleetwood right. Mac, um, Skid Row, Gary Moore, he did one of his records, uh, Roger Glover when he did a solo thing, Cozy Powell when yeah. he had a, he did a Assault Attack from Michael Schenker Group. Yeah. So, dude has been on, he's, he's been on a lot <laughs> of shit, man. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. By the time he worked with Maiden, I know they're saying they were super, they're kind of nervous about working with him because mm-hmm. he's already a legend. You know, right. he'd already done all those Deep Purple albums and uh, Rainbow albums and shit. So they were kind of nervous about working with them, but also like they're really excited. And uh, apparently, he passed like he had i guess he had the opportunity to work with them on their first record and ended up not doing it and supposedly he told them like he didn't want them to be like completely starstruck by their producer like he wanted them to have a little bit more experience under their belt when he got to got his hands on them right you know which makes sense but man do i wish he would have done that first one that would have been Whew. Oh fuck! I mean, Killers sounds great. It's yeah. kind of that, that kind of, you know, toss up for me because Killers sounds better, but I mm-hmm. like the songs on you know the self titled album just a little bit more. Yeah, that's a, a lot of people think that.
You know, there's some funny stories on the, uh, there's that History of Iron Maiden series of videos. And uh, I think it's on the second one, which is mostly like the Bruce, uh, after Bruce took over. Mm-hmm. And they have so many stories about Martin Birch. And uh, one of them is, you know, he was obviously as a producer with a young band, you're supposed to be like, you know, kind of like the dad or kind of like the one who keeps everything in line, you know. And he was that for them, but also there was times when he would get loose himself, you know, and he liked to have a drink too. And at and those times, they referred to him as a different character named Marvin. Yeah. Because he was one of those dudes who, who kind of uh, would go off the hook. So if you want to get some more uh, some more lowdown on some Martin Birch stories, you could go check out the, uh, the History of Iron Maiden. It's on um, several bonus features of several of their videos. Hmm. So R.I.P. Martin Birch, man, but a, a, a great producer. Yeah. Thanks for everything, man. Shit. <laughs> yep. All right. And now back to the uh, topic at hand, which is Motorhead and a couple of things that we left out. Um, we talked about the name. We didn't really talk about the logo, whatever you call it, the their yeah. uh, figure, which is really a pretty iconic drawing by this time it's you know a logo slash kind of a mascot yeah in a way but um that kind of you know it was never like a character right like but that was kind of almost you know the uh the start of that because metal like there's a lot of the metal bands that after that they have you know a logo slash Mm-hmm. You know, character, you know, mascot type thing. Right. So, you know, you got Eddie, obviously. Right. You got, you know, Vic Rattlehead or whatever Megadeth does. Like, yeah, he never took off quite like Eddie. He's still on all the fucking records practically. But right. Um, right. I would say I would say the Motorhead, which um, I've heard it called War Pig. I've heard it called an orc. Yeah. Um, whatever. I would say. He's probably like second only to Eddie. As far as like rec- recognizability and you know what band that's associated with. Oh, yeah. And it's on all the shit, you know. Yeah. Some- and diff- <laughs> different incarnations. Like they don't all look the same. He evolves. Then he goes back to the old guy, you know, and, and then he's flying through space or something, you know, but he looks different all the time. Oh, yeah. No, it's like some it's like sometimes he's a train. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Know. There you go. Um, 
you know, he's not, I mean, it's not on every last thing because he's not on, uh, he's not on the Ace of Spades cover, but, you know, he's on right. most shit somewhere. But, uh, yeah, no, it's a cool thing. But, yeah, like, that's Orgasmatron is when it's a fucking train. <laughs> mm-hmm, <laughs> Which, mm-hmm. But uh, there's some where it's like, you know, like the like the overkill one where it looks like the head's exploding and there's, you know, light shooting out of the eyes. And so, yeah, no, it's a cool. It's very cool. Um, I don't have any tattoos myself. Um, that's one of the things I have considered getting like mm-hmm. tattooed is you know the motorhead whatever that thing is yeah i thought about doing it actually like as a combination of like two of my favorite bands and having like the the metallica like ninja star thing behind the motorhead oh that know, would be that would be cool thing. that would be um, cool Maybe I should just start getting a bunch of metal logo tattoos. Just like one day I show up, I got like Eddie on one arm. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Get whatever the fucking was it Murray? Is that the what they yeah. called the Holy Diver? The Dio one. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Hold off on the rainbow one for now. Yeah. But uh, yeah. <laughs> no, that's a fucking. That's a whole back piece. Just the yeah. rising, right? You know, cover. For That'd sure. be a sick tattoo if you could find the right tattoo artist. Oh, yeah. Be, it could also be a shitty tattoo if you get the oh, wrong yeah. one. Oh, yeah. Exactly. Just a, sh- just a crappy hand with a rainbow. Yeah. <laughs> wow. All right. Well, that leads us to uh, another thing that we kind of really didn't talk about, and it's going to come into play because it's going to start changing a little bit, and that's the look of the band. Like, the original three... Looked like, I mean, you could have grabbed these dudes uh, out of any alley in, you oh, know, yeah. some drug deal gone wrong or some shit. You could grab these three for sure. Oh, yeah, totally. That's what happens when uh, the band is like the tweakers that all like met at the bar. Right. <laughs> they look <Right>. like it. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, that's the thing. That it was cool, you know, because they had the leather jackets and the bullet belts. And so they were kind of like it was kind of like street clothes but still they were far enough apart where you could tell they were the band you know yeah so that's cool uh you know lonnie's been watching these these um all these documentaries with me and stuff and so uh two things have come out of that one when we first started watching like the first one like every five minutes she was asking me what did he say what did he say what was he talking about and then by now she understands Lemmy language. So <laughs> she's perfectly fluent listening to Lemmy talk. And the other day she got a package from Amazon or whatever the hell. And Lonnie's got herself some like Lemmy boots now. <laughs> so she's all stoked with her boots and whatever. And so, uh, and so, yeah, you know, that, I mean, the look of the band is, was iconic. And it came up to a certain point, and then they'd make up like certain little changes, like on the Ace of Spades album, which I think is a great album cover. Mm-hmm. They um, they look like kind of like American Desperados, sort yeah. of the same color scheme and everything, but like a different place, different time. And then they tried that again on the Iron Fist. And this time they had like swords and shit and horses and whatever. 
And that time it didn't work out as well. Like, people weren't feeling that shit. Yeah, I mean, it depends, like, because it's not like Ace of Spades is, like, full-on concept album, but there's reoccurring themes, so that's why they went with the gunfighter motif for it. Right, right. You know, because, you know, in Ace of Spades, he's talking about the dead man's hand and shit like that, and which is aces and eights when while that's what wild bill hickok had in his hand when he was murdered right um and they have some other stuff you know like you know there's other things on the album referencing it i think one of the songs that literally just starts with like lemmy being like western movies <laughs> and then the song starts you know yeah but yeah. And the look, the look of the band t- kind of tends to go with the personal personality of the band. Like you could tell, here comes some fucking troublemakers. Some more than others. From watching all the interviews and everything, I could already tell. Like I probably wouldn't have got along with Filthy Animal Taylor. Like he's just <laughs> that dude that's like always in your grill and always starting shit, you know. And uh, just like uh, too much dudes like that are too much for me. Yeah, I would say there's a reason why he's filthy animal, you know. <laughs> yeah, he's fucking. He's the of of the grimiest band in the world. He's the grimiest member type of thing. Like exactly, he does seem like he'll just like. Not only is he the the shit starter and everything else, he seems like he's probably gonna kind of gross you out a little bit. <laughs> probably so. So and so and according to um to Fast Eddie. There was a certain point of an argument where you could get to with Filthy where it didn't matter what you said after that. Somehow there were going to be fists thrown, you know, because he was the kind that every couple of weeks you had to have it out with him one way or the other. Probably not Lemmy because Lemmy was the boss. But if you were another dude in the band, then you're going to have to deal with Filthy on a physical level at some point. You know, and he's a sick drummer. But yeah, I could see... I could see how that would get tiresome. (laughs) (laughs) You know, you'd think. And that's another thing about the band that it seems like even though Lemmy was obviously the leader of the band, none of them minced words. They all had like very loud opinions, very strong opinions and voiced them. And and most of all, Lemmy had some pretty um, strong opinions about certain things some things we might agree with them with sometimes we might not i know like when i heard that uh lemmy didn't like prince he thought prince was just like a Jimi hendrix ripoff and whatever i was a little bit surprised by that yeah that seemed like other than prince being a black guy that plays guitar that's like maybe he was thinking of Lenny Kravitz I don't know but because Prince is so much more than just a black guy that plays guitar and he plays the fuck out of a guitar but he like played pretty much every instrument on all his albums and then he had his like road band but the dude was like a musical genius so Mm -hmm. Lenny he's Mm -hmm. got his opinions on pretty much everything which is kind of funny because we were talking about this before how it seems like nobody has a particularly bad thing to say about Lemmy. Mm-hmm. But, like, Lemmy's got, like, a bunch of shit to say about a lot of other people. He does. So even the people that he fucking shits on, they didn't really, like, say anything bad about him. Now, partially, that could be he's been he passed away a few years ago now, so people don't want to speak ill of the dead. Right. 
But like you said, they had that little thing with the darkness where he said they're a novelty act and the singer got kind of butthurt about that. And Dave Grohl was like, well, let's have let's have it out. Let's have you t- you come on down to the rainbow. Talk it out with Lemmy. Yeah. And he talked with Lemmy about it. And it's I think that's why I'm glad I never really applied myself too hard into trying to be in a band or anything like that, yeah. because I can't think of anything that would hurt my feelings more than if I was in a band and I got a little bit of recognition and then Lemmy said I was shit. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah, that would suck. The dude you, one of the dudes you look up to the most to just thinks your band sucks. Right. You know? But he was also very gracious with, you know, bands that he did like. Oh, yeah. Almost to his detriment because it pretty much broke up the original lineup. Because he's got like these pet projects and all, it's always chick rockers mm-hmm. and he's got a pet project with. I don't know if he's trying to bang one of them or something. Yeah, because that's. I mean, I would guess, you know, and uh, and those projects were just like bad. You know, the songs were bad. It just there wasn't really anything good to them. Oh, before we before we skip another band that Lemmy didn't like much was Kiss. <laughs> A lot of bands don't like Kiss, though, so that wasn't surprising. I guess so, but you know, it's funny. Um, like, my analysis of Lemmy's analysis, so it's, like, double, double-edged, double but I think in that case, maybe he's, like, looking at Kiss and thinking, that's not rock and roll, more than he's listening mm-hmm. to Kiss and saying, that's not rock and roll, because, I mean, Kiss obviously sounds like rock and roll. Whether or not the whole thing as a business is a rock and roll like entity, that could be up for debate, you know? Yeah. But yeah, it's funny, yeah, you sent me that that clip and it's just him just shitting on Kiss in the middle of a concert for like no, yeah, no reason. reason at all. He's just like, This is what rock and roll really sounds like as opposed to Kiss, like <laughs> type like, of thing. Damn, all right then. Like Kiss had nothing to say about Motorhead right, ever, that's that I, I know of. Yeah. But, you know, I guess when you have I want to rock and roll all night and party every day and you got Lemmy over here all like, that's not rock and roll. But he's got weird. He had a whole thing in his book where he talked about how um, the Sex Pistols weren't punk. Right. And stuff like that, because he he thought they're too manufactured. They were trying too hard. Mm -hmm. But he like talked up the damned. He loved the Ramones. Yeah. So, you know, I guess, well, I mean, that's cool. I mean, I don't like what I don't like, and I like what I like, so I can I can uh, get with that. Oh, for real. And one of the things that I, that I really dig, and that I don't think we got into that much last time, is um, Lemmy's <clears throat> lyrics, like his uh, prowess as a lyricist. Because, you know, when they say, like, less is more, and, you know, as comics, we work on, you know, uh, having an economy of words and shit like that. Man, I, nobody had an economy of words like Lemmy. <laughs> Other than people that like English as a second language. <laughs> <laughs> right? But he got across like what he meant to say. And, you know, he has a lot of like key phrases or catchphrases that you could latch on to if you wanted to. Really some classic lyrics for having very simple rhyme schemes and very short phrases. He gets a lot done with those few words. Oh, yeah. I always like some of my uh, favorites are like uh, the first verse of uh, 
killed by death. Mm-hmm. It's like if you squeeze my lizard, I'll put my snake on you. Yeah. I'm a romantic adventurer and a reptile, too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, see? And then he does love me like a reptile also. So he's got a reoccurring theme. Right. But, you know, then just the song is killed by death. It's like, you know. Yeah. You know, I ain't going to be easy. The only time I'm easy is when I'm killed by death. Right. <laughs> yep. almost catches right on from i don't want to live forever or he's got a bunch man he's got a bunch of really like classic ass phrases some of those some of the uh the songs he changes the lyrics over the years too okay um like if you saw him like towards the end when he was doing you know ace of spades and you know and it's like i don't want to live forever and then the next slide is like and don't forget the joker like now after a while he started going like but apparently I am. <laughs> yeah. Because he, like, expected to be dead a long time ago. But um... Right. You know, it's funny because uh, watching all these documentaries, there's these two fucking bald guys from uh, England. One of them's named Malcolm Dome, and one of them's named Mick something or, or another. They're both bald, and one of them has really snaggly teeth. But these dudes are, I guess, in England... Uh, rock journalist is still like a job, <laughs> you know, and and you can and these guys get on all of the uh, on all of the documentaries. And so uh, on one of these documentaries, one of those dudes, I think it's Malcolm Dome, tells the story of how Lemmy came up with that with that lyric, you know, that I don't want to live forever and how he basically told him. Man, you know, Lemmy, you blew it with that lyric because, like, it's almost like, you know, my generation with Townsend where he says, you know, hope I die before I get old, and now he's old, you know, and he's still alive or whatever. So it didn't work out. And Lemmy's like, yeah, but no. He's like, because I don't want to live forever. could be like, I'm living until the day before forever, and then I'm dying. He goes, it doesn't matter. He goes, I could be young, I could be old, it could be a thousand years, and still, I haven't lived forever yet, so I won't live forever. And and the guy's like, well, okay, <laughs> makes sense. <laughs> Another change he's done to lyrics over the over the years is uh, with Overkill. They did a re-recording of it, you know, with the the later years lineup, but uh, there's you know the one line where it's like. Uh, 
Know your body is made to move. You feel it in your guts. Rock and roll ain't worth the name if it don't make you strut. Mm. Uh, after a while, he started doing this live and on the re-recording. It's uh, rock and roll ain't worth the name if it don't make you fuck. <laughs> so there you go. Some lyrics are written. Some lyrics like that, you know, you just change them over the years. And uh, some lyrics, it seems like they were meant to be written a certain way, but you had to write it the other way so it could get out. Like um, like on Rainbow All Night Long, I think they switched that lyric to Give Me Head right on that first tour. Yeah. So I think it was meant to be Give Me Head in the first place, but sometimes it works out that way. Well, I think it's like one of those things that you can't put that on the record. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> you can say that in concert. Right. And it's, that's it's like how um, Guns N' Roses were Paradise City when Slash was putting down some lyrics and showing it to... Axel, it was like, uh, take me down to the Paradise City where the girls are fat and they got big titties. And Axel's like, I'm not fucking singing that. <laughs> <laughs> right? Oh, that's another uh, another opinion of uh, of Lemmy's. No fat chicks. <laughs> no fat chick policy for old Lem. That was one of my... I laughed so hard watching that, you know, that interview he's doing and he's talking about that because he goes in a weird... He goes on a weird thing about Britney Spears. Yeah. That, you know, some people say Britney Spears is rock and roll now. and She ain't rock and roll. Right. She's getting a little fat, too, ain't she? Like, she just starts going, you know. Yeah. Probably s- sitting around eating some bonbons, you know. Yeah. Ain't nobody fucking her anymore. Yeah, <laughs> Justin, yeah. come back to me. Like, he goes on and on. And then the interviewer, she just goes like, so... You like thin women then? And he's like, well, who likes fat women? <laughs> <laughs> Evidently, lots of fools. And it's like, she could be a six out of ten, yeah. but she's skinny. Yeah, that's for <laughs> sure. That's for sure. Oh, one little thing I also want to throw in there. Uh, watching one of those documentaries you sent me, I heard of a different version of the whole Lemmy getting kicked out of Hawkwind story too because the story was always well let me got busted with drugs blah 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 mm. which that holds up but the the one on that one documentary was saying because he'd been busted with drugs before he wasn't able to um get a work visa to mm. work in the united states and he wasn't able to come to the states mm. so instead of having a temporary replacement tour of the states with him, mm-hmm. they just they just canned him. Yeah, you know. So that was one of those yeah. where it was like they were more psychedelic. He was more tweakerish. Um, the visa situation wasn't going to change probably in the future. You know, fuck it, let's just get rid of him. And and really ended up being you know I don't think keeping Lemmy would have saved Hawkwind and getting rid of him obviously caused Motorhead. Yeah. So it's a net gain probably in that way. Oh, for sure. Yeah. It's like, you know, undoubtedly. But it's like we mentioned before, he was all in on Hawkwind. He had he would have stayed in that band forever mm-hmm. um, if given the chance. Yeah. But he instead, you know, he got to have his own band and become a legend in his own right. So. Yep. And the legend continues after um, Iron Fist comes out. They're like, whatever, um, Lemmy, who supposedly was happy with it at the time, says he, he didn't like the production. 
Uh, Fast Eddie Clark didn't like the fact that Lemmy was doing these side projects with girl bands. And it just became a thing. Uh, Fast Eddie also didn't like the criticism of the way he produced the album and all that. So he just up and left. So Fast Eddie leaves and it just so happens that right at the same time, Brian Robertson has also left Thin Lizzy. Now, in Thin Lizzy, it was basically, it was uh, Brian Robertson and Scott Gorman, and they're the ones that are the most famous um, for the Thin Lizzy sound, which was like all that harmony guitars and stuff like that, that other bands like Maiden later on jumped on. But um, Thin Lizzy was like the pioneer of that stuff, and Brian Robertson was all up in it. They also had Gary Moore, who's probably more famous than Brian Robertson in the long run. But the main two dudes were Scott Gorman and um, Brian Robertson in Thin Lizzy. So suddenly he's out of Thin Lizzy and Fast Eddie's out of Motorhead. And really, it just doesn't seem like a good fit. (laughs) But for whatever reason, they hooked it up. Yeah, what's funny is, I mean, the album's good. Um, he wouldn't have been my first pick for Motorhead by any means. But, you know, the thing that really fucked it up is, like you said, Motorhead had a certain look. Mm-hmm. And then this dude showed up like they, I don't know, like, what he, did he, was he wearing something different when he auditioned? Did they audition? Was he just hired on reputation? Either way, he starts showing up to shows and they immediately like say he looks like a man, like he's from Loverboy and shit yeah. like that. So he's got his like headbands and his weird outfits. And Lemmy was saying something about how he was like wearing ballet shoes yeah. and all that shit. His hair looks like a perm. Yeah. So it's kind of one of my favorite stories too because, you know, they. Motorhead had a certain following. Right. And, you know, a lot of bikers were into them. And I just, it's kind of like, you know, a bunch of, you know, hard asses, like they like Motorhead. Mm-hmm. And I guess Lemmy was talking about when they first got uh, Brian Robertson in the band, they're doing a thing, they're doing a gig, and there's a bunch of Hell's Angels mm-hmm. at the show. And Lemmy can overhear them talking. And Lemmy's saying how they're sitting around going, who the fuck is that? Mm-hmm. And there's Robbo in his whatever he's wearing. Mm-hmm. And he, another guy's like, oh, that's uh, Motorhead's new guitarist. And then the first guy's like, hmm, let's kill him. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know? <laughs> like, yeah. And Lemmy had to go interject, I guess, and be like, hey, hey, hey please don't kill my new guitarist. Right. Um, but right then he knew, like, I don't think this is going to fit. Right. You know? <laughs> And and like you said, the album's good. Um, there's there's things on it that you know you wouldn't you wouldn't think of. There's acoustic guitars on it. There's pick picking intros on it. There's a lot of effects on the guitar delay and shit like that. Because um, they also brought the uh, producer from Thin Lizzy to produce the album. So this was basically the first Motorhead album that wasn't just recorded like, okay, let's just all go in there, record the song, and then we'll overdub some parts. 
this shit was was done like the way other bands make albums, you know? Yeah. Uh, drum tracks and then the bass and then like five layers of guitars and shit like that. And they were just like, Lemmy was just like, well, okay, I'll be at the pub and I'll be back. You know, <laughs> because they, they didn't need him for any of that shit. So a lot of the time it was the band recording their tracks and then Brian Robertson and the producer doing their shit. So... Totally different experience, totally different sounding album. I like it, but it is, to me, it's the least Motorhead sounding. Yeah. So I I could see where some people would like it and some people wouldn't. No, it's cool if you take it on it as its own thing. Mm-hmm. Um, one thing I'm looking over the the reception for the album, you know, where people talk about it being kind of a misunderstood album and this and that. This is the most biggest stretch I've seen. I don't know if this is a real thing. So it just says the thrash metal band Sepultura named themselves after the third track from this album, Dancing on Your Grave. Sepultura is grave in Portuguese. <laughs> Okay. Um, yeah. That just seems like there's a lot of songs that have grave in it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I don't know how you listen to Dancing on Your Grave and then go, oh, man, what if it was Dancing on Your Sepultura? Yeah. And now we're Sepultura. <laughs> like, that's right. just fucking, I think somebody made that shit up and put that yeah. in there. They, that's why Wikipedia isn't the best. Uh, <laughs> yeah. They could have been easily Children of the Sepultura or something yeah. like that. Yeah. Bambinos de Sepultura's. (laughs) So, you know, again, those same critics, um, Mick Wall, Mick Wall is one of them. He actually wrote the Black Sabbath book. So it's Mick Wall and Malcolm Dome. Those are the two guys. And those guys, they're the ones who swear that this is one of the great uh, Motorhead albums, that Brian Robertson was worlds ahead of any other guitarist that Motorhead ever had. And and so on and so forth. And that's all well and good. I think technically he was, you know, probably better. 
there are some, you know, guitar stuff, higher probably quality guitar stuff on this record than the others, but I really don't see it as being as big of a deal as these guys do. I mean, you know, what has Brian Robertson done since then? You know, not not a lot. Not what somebody who's obviously that great probably should have done, you know. So, ah, you know, yeah, I, I like Brian Robertson just fine, but I'm not that huge of a fan. And then there's the other part, which was, you know, I kind of found it hard to believe when Lemmy said that he was wearing um, ballerina shoes and shorts. So I tried to find pictures of him in these ballerina shoes and shorts and I couldn't. So I also found it hard to believe when Lemmy said that Brian Robertson just straight out refused to play some of the Motorhead classics on that tour. And I was like, yeah, Lemmy's probably exaggerating as usual. So I look on the set list and fucking A, you're talking about no overkill. You're talking about no Ace of Spades on that tour. Um, the only songs from from a early uh, or albums would be Religion and uh, The Chase is Better Than The Catch, uh, Heart of Stone. That's about it. Uh, there's no none of the real Motorhead classics were played on that tour. And Lemmy says it's because he refused to play them. So if that's the case, then, yeah, he definitely had to go. Yeah, you can't, you know, that's kind of a, I understand wanting to get your shit in. Yeah. And I understand maybe at the time it's like, well, this is the new sound of Motorhead. This is, you know, the new direction, you know, it's Motorhead Mark II. Right, right. <laughs> I guess. But it's like, man, that's the thing. It's annoying now, especially back then, you know. Whenever you get a band that's like, I'm not playing the hits, mm. you know, that's always gets on my damn nerves. At least like when Iron Maiden, when they do the whole like when they're touring on for a record, you're going to hear a lot of that record. Mm -hmm. You're probably going to hear all of it, but they're still going to throw in the hits at the end for you there. Mm -hmm. And then they'll do a tour that's just the hits, basically. Right. You know, and I get that. It's like when you see Metallica. They got to try. They have years and decades of classics and they got to try to make room for some new shit. Mm -hmm. So sometimes your favorite song ain't going to make the cut. Right. Sometimes it will. And that's what's kind of cool, because Metallica, especially when you looked at like that last tour, they changed up their set list quite a bit. Mm -hmm. um, so there's you know, they rotate songs in and out. So they're trying to, you know, get the most bang for the buck that mm -hmm. you can get. You know, they're like, OK, well, we got to have these few tracks from the new album and you know well maybe one day we'll maybe some days we'll slot a different song in in ex, you know exchange for another song because this is a song that would normally be in the set list but it got slotted out for the new shit you know mm -hmm. so when we saw him i was happy because when i had seen him before they didn't play creeping death right and i was like fuck dude so when they we saw him you know at you know Petco, they, you know, Creeping Death was in there. Fade to Black was in there. Mm -hmm. Whiplash was in there. So it's like, oh, shit, they're like hitting all my, my favorite songs. <laughs> right, right. But imagine imagine not knowing that's going to happen and you go and see Motorhead with this new yeah. guitarist 
that looks kind of fruity as far as you're concerned. And he's right. not playing any of the songs you like. <laughs> right. And and I'd be sitting there like, okay, they already left the stage and came back. And now they left the stage again. But obviously they're going to come back because they have to play Ace of Spades and Overkill. Right? So I'll be waiting there. And then the lights go on. And I'll be like, what the fuck? Yep. That's like going to see Kiss, and then it's just all the deep cuts. No rock and roll all night. Woo! It's yeah. going to end on that do 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 song they kept trying to get going. That, uh, what was yeah. it? Uh, hide, hide Your Heart. Right. Well, that's. <laughs> oh, I remember warning you that they decided to dig into their catalog and bring that one out. Yeah. And then when they played it, when we saw them, you're like, fuck, dude, I really don't like this song. Yeah. <laughs> like, I know which song I'm peeing during. <laughs> yep, for sure. Oh, speaking of which, there isn't too many events happening, but one event that seems like it's going to be happening is that um, Metallica is going to be having a concert movie that's going to be playing in drive ins at the end yeah. of the month. And we're going to have it at the South Bay drive in. So I don't know. There's chatter. We might go. I don't know. We'll see. I was slightly interested in that, but it's like it's $150 per car, but you can get bring up to six people. Right. When they first when they first announced they're doing this concert thing, I'm like, is this just concert video or is this like a live stream concert? There's not a lot of details yet. Yeah. At first, when I heard about it and I just heard at drive ins. Yeah. I was like, I can I can't think of more things I want to do less then go to the Santee drive-in with a bunch <laughs> of Metallica fans and all the Metallica fans from Santee there. Oh, yeah. Uh, but the South Bay one is a little bit different, you know. Right, right. You know, I might not I might not get robbed by a tweaker. I might get stabbed <laughs> by a cholo that's really into Metallica. But yeah, <laughs> there you go. They all look like Rob Trujillo, you know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So now uh, the the Another Perfect Day album and tour is in the books. Um, Brian Robertson's leaving because it's it just didn't work out, and so they st- they open up for auditions. And in an interview, Lemmy goes on saying, "I don't know if it was just something he said off the cuff or something he thought about or what." But he went on the record as saying that they would probably end up with an unknown guitarist, which, I mean, I guess, you know, would give the green light to anyone to, hey, hey, send in a tape. Fuck it. You know, what 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 you got to lose? Right. As a matter of fact, like Wurzel said, he labeled his uh, audition tape the most unknown guitarist. <laughs> right. So send it in. And um, and Phil Campbell got a call back. Wurzel got a call back. They said at first there was like 54 dudes, then down to 20 dudes, down to 12 dudes, down to seven dudes, down to two dudes. And Lemmy had them both show up at like the rehearsal studio and says, okay, it's down to you too. We're going to have you guys, you know, riff it off. And they're like, oh shit, all right, okay. So Lemmy like leaves the room. They're stuck in there. Just the two of them, uncomfortable situation. They're about to fucking cut heads right now, it seems like, or whatever. But Lemmy's just been gone for a while, and they just don't really know what to do. 
So they start breaking down like some of the songs that they were working on saying like, okay, well, you play this part, I'll play this part and see how it goes. And by the time Lemmy came back, they were kind of meshing. And I don't know if that was Lemmy's plan or whatever, but it seemed to work out because he hired both of them. Yeah. Well, that was, it might not, it may or may not have been Lemmy's plan, but it was their fucking plan. Yeah. They were 100% like, well, if I come in here and you come in here and we do this and we do that, they were like, let's try to both get the job. Right. <laughs> you know? Right. Yeah. And it was one of those things where uh, Lemmy, well, Lemmy, he didn't immediately hire both of them. He wasn't 100% sure who he's going to pick what to do and filthy animal says well let's just hire both of them right and lemmy's like you know what let's try it as a four piece and then filthy animal quits the band right after <laughs> right yeah which is uh it, it was funny because the way he says it is like uh well i didn't want to leave you hanging right yeah he's like well, but you did leave me hanging <laughs> but, you know but um yeah, so he basically, uh, Filthy says that he wanted to go do something with Brian Robertson and also he wanted to get away from Lemmy. So that's his rationale, even though they really didn't do anything. They didn't uh, make an album or anything together, but that was his rationale for leaving. And so he takes off and now you've got Phil Campbell and Wurzel fresh in the band. And Lemmy's looking for a drummer. So Phil Campbell, who was a huge Saxon fan, was like, well, we could get the dude that was just in Saxon. You know, and and, uh, and Lemmy's like, all right, bet, because he toured with Saxon. So he knew he knew uh, Pete Gill and what Pete Gill could do. And Pete Gill was also one of the early um, double bass pioneers, too, along with Filthy. So he was able to cover all that double bass shit pretty good This would be the band for Orgasmatron. They also did the couple of tracks for uh, and some overdubs for um, No Remorse, which was the uh, greatest hits album and the last album that they owed Bronze Records, right? So that was pretty much the end of it with Bronze Records. And uh, Pete Gill plays on a couple of songs and then they go into the studio for Orgasmatron, which is their first album for GWR Records, which basically is the record label of their management. 
So they're kind of on they're kind of on a major label, but they're kind of not. But now they have basically all the freedom to do whatever they want, and they're away from bronze. And so they come out with Orgasmatron, which to me is a great record. It's like one of my favorite Motorhead records. Oh, killer. Uh, this is around the time. It's interesting because, you know, you have the classic lineup era. This is the area. I don't know what to call it. This is like the they can't settle on a drummer era. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> of Motorhead. But Orgasmatron is killer. Um, Pete Gilfit, you know, he slots right in. Mm-hmm. And is killing it, you know, and then he only sticks around for that record, right? You know, but then Filthy Animal comes back, <laughs> right? Yeah. The funny thing about that one is that I guess it was the Pete Gill firing was a total uh, misunderstanding. It was one of those things where um, where Lemmy's waiting for Pete Gill to show up. Pete Gill's on his way over there. And then somebody tells him, ah, you don't got to go. Don't worry about it. Lemmy's not waiting for you. Don't don't even trip. You can, you can hang out. And so he ends up hanging out. And Lemmy's over there sitting there waiting for him, saying, oh, when this fucker shows up, he's fired. You know, for making him wait and not fucking doing what he's supposed to do. So basically, it was a whole misunderstanding. He's out of the band and Filthy's back. So now we're talking about 1987. Filthy Animal Taylor is back in the band and they come out with rock and roll, which is what they play after all. Yeah. <laughs> uh, this has got, this has got some, some songs on it. Rock and roll, Eat the Rich, uh, Stone Deaf in the USA. I like, these so- I, like, I like this album, but to me, it's not as good as Orgasmatron was, but it's still a pretty good fucking album. Yeah, well, this is around the time, too. There's some cool, like I said, you, almost, pretty much every... Motorhead album is cool, uh, but this is definitely when they're not at their commercial high point. You know, right. these albums, you know, uh, the last couple albums haven't been big hits um, yeah. compared to their previous, you know, success they had, unfortunately. Right, right. The one documentary that I saw, it had the head of their uh, old label, the head of Bronze. And he was basically saying, you know, uh, they were complaining when they were here. You know, Lemmy was complaining. He didn't get this. He didn't get what he wanted. He didn't get full freedom and whatever because we wanted certain producers and whatever. But then he left and found out that everything was better when he was here. So it's one of those things. It's kind of a kind of a careful what you ask for because... Sometimes when you have when you can have all the freedom in the world, you don't have the same amount of focus as you used to have where it should be. Yeah. Some people, when you have unlimited, you know, creative control, they can really like thrive in that environment. And some Mm -hmm. people need to be like that, have that leash, (laughs) I guess, you know, because they, you know, sometimes they get off. In, uh, off the reservation a bit too much right so and then it starts sounding not quite like the band that you the you know that people like and although to you know it's interesting during this era because they had a couple of records in a row that weren't super you know successful but then they kind of turned it around with 1916 <laughs> 
That's like they get, you know, their first, you know, their first Grammy nomination. This is in 91. Mm-hmm. So. Right. Now, during this time, it's uh, interesting because uh, Filthy is about to get fired. And this time it's basically for performance issues because I guess he had fallen off. He was having some substance issues and whatever and he just wasn't the drummer he used to be it was kind of where uh lemmy felt like he he kind of felt like it was a mistake getting rid of uh or letting filthy leave in the first place and so he thought he was gonna set things right by getting him back but then he really didn't get back the same dude a hundred percent so so this time it was um It was because of his playing that they were going to let him go. And on this album, he plays on a couple of songs. Mickey D plays on a song. And then on the rest of him, it's Tommy Aldridge, which I did not know until now that uh, Tommy Aldridge was ever on a Motorhead album. Yeah, that's on uh, March or Die. 1916 is where they're kind of coming around. But March or Die, that is the... um, this is Lemmy's big fucking mainstream push. Right. Um, this is where he talks about in his book, like he wanted a breakthrough goddamn hit. Like he wanted, so he's got, you know, slash on the guitar. Mm-hmm. He's doing a, you know, he's doing cat scratch fever. So he's covering a well-known, you know, on a previous hit, mm-hmm. you know, he's got Ozzy on, on the, uh, the record. You know, he's got Tommy Aldridge on drums, you know, so he's he's packing it. But he had this is where he does his ballad. I ain't no nice guy with Ozzy and Slash. Right. And he was like, this is going to be my big mainstream breakthrough hit. Right. And it did well. It just didn't do as well as he had hoped. Right. So he was kind of bent out of shape about that because he was like, what the fuck more can I do? He's like, I have a ballad with Ozzy Osbourne and Slash on it. <laughs> yeah. You know, he yeah, thought no shit. he was destined for a big hit on this. One. It's interesting. The fact that for somebody that has this, I don't give a fuck attitude with a lot of stuff. Uh-huh. Um, Lemmy, man, he's, he really wanted that, like that mainstream success in there. Right. When I was young, 
You know, so it's kind of, but, you know, we're finally getting the, you know, the cool thing is, is this is around the era, you know, because well, Tommy Aldridge is, plays on a lot of the record, but we're hitting that era. We're finally on the next record. You kind of got basically the lineup, you know, right. You get Mickey D on drums and yeah, it's still Phil Campbell and Wurzel, but, um, What's funny is I'm noticing that Phil Campbell's nickname keeps changing on records. <laughs> yeah. Because he was, yeah. it was Wurzel and Wizzo. And then on this one, he's credited as Phil Zoom Campbell. Yeah. And I never, he didn't have like a nickname anymore by the time I got into yeah. Motorhead. It was just Phil Campbell. <laughs> right. But, you know, um, you know, but this is like when they're coalesced as a four piece until Wurzel leaves the band. And they don't hire another guy. They just, what's cool is in his book, Lemmy talks about this, is when Wurzel does leave in the late 90s, I think I want to say it's like 99 or so, mm-hmm. he didn't know because Wurzel was like the fire, he was the firecracker on stage. Mm-hmm. He was like the attention grabber. He was like the flashier one. And Phil was just kind of like, kind of more in the background mm-hmm. and let Wurzel be that guy. Well, when mm. Wurzel leaves, the first concert Lemmy does, he says, he's like, oh, man, I, I'm wondering if this is going to work as a three-piece. We've been playing as a four-piece for so long now. Mm-hmm. And Phil hasn't been like that, that the dude ever mm-hmm. in the band. And he said he right the first thing that happens when they start is he just sees a streak fucking fly by him on the stage to the point where he's just like, what the fuck is that? And he turns, and it's Phil Campbell just running across the stage with his guitar and just shredding his ass off out of nowhere. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. So he's yeah, like feeling that spot. Yeah. He, Cause he needs that, you know, cause he's like, well, I guess we're a three piece again. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. He's like, we don't need two guitars. And that's pretty much how it stayed until the right. end.
Mickey D doesn't really uh, mince words on uh, on why Wurzel had to go. He said, you know, he was drunk a lot. He couldn't play a lot of times. And, you know, when he could play, it was good. But there were times when he couldn't play. And, you know, you just can't have that. And um, so, yeah. You know, one important thing about the about the history is we kind of skipped a, where uh, by this time now, Lemmy lives in L.A., right? He moved to L.A. around 90. This is like 93 now. So that's kind of where he like, you know, now he's in the the Western capital of of hard rock anyways. Right. And, you know the bands are coming through musicians are coming through and um and mickey d joins the band and mickey d was another one where they kind of had a problem because people thought he was la people thought he had kind of like that platinum hair and they thought he was like a hair metal guy or something and they gave him a lot of shit but um but let me jump to his defense right away. It's like, fuck that. This is my drummer. Don't fuck with him. Yo. Yeah. Well, it's kind of funny, too, because he, you know, he played on one album with Don Dokken. Right. Before joining Motorhead. But before that, he was uh, King Diamond's drummer. Right. So it's not like he was like some glam dude. <laughs> yeah. You know? No. He was coming yeah. from a heavy ass, you know, scene. And uh, yeah. then after, you know, then after uh, Lemmy passed away, he ends up joining the Scorpions. So right, basically, uh, he could he could have had his pick of any band that needed a drummer to be in because he's like the hot dude, and um, and the Scorpions. I mean, that it's probably a perfect fit for him because you know they're playing, they're still playing big shows, and. Uh, and yeah, so that that's gonna work out for. Uh, he's gonna be playing b- much bigger audiences with the Scorpions now than than he was. So that's cool. Okay, so Bastards comes out in '93, and it's on a new label, XYZ Music. It's the only album that they would ever do for that label. And now we're past the point where uh, where Motorhead's really uh, charting. As far as the U.S. charts or the British charts, uh, it's still charting in Germany, Sweden, and Japan, and it's getting pretty good reviews. Um, this isn't an album that I really dove into. I've heard it a bunch of times, but I wouldn't say that I'm really like I. I've never had it. Yeah. So, what that- do you think of it? So this is the um, the album. I heard it later, but the first actual Motorhead song I ever heard was actually "I Am the Sword." Okay. Off of this, and it was on. Like I said, this was in. This would have been in '99, um, and I was hanging out with a chick, and they had the digital cable, and they had like the metal channel that you could put on that. And Motorhead came on, and it was, I am the sword. And I was like, oh, that's fucking cool. So that's mm-hmm. what Motorhead sounds like, <laughs> you know? Right, okay. Because, you know, this is around the time I'm I'm getting, I'm finally 
around this, it's a little bit later. It's more like the mid nineties that I finally become aware of motorhead as a thing. Mm -hmm. But, um, it's interesting because I have to going all the way back to when I was a kid. Um, it's one of the, one of the random connections I had as a child to motorhead. I didn't even know it was in the, the Nintendo game, super Mario brothers three. Uh, you have the main bad guy Bowser, and he has his his Koopa kids, and they all had you know Japanese names and stuff. But when they um, when they finally released it in America in 1990, um, they needed to rename all these characters, all these boss characters. So uh, they decided to give them all rocker themes. So you have mm. a you know you have Wendy O Koopa and this and that, and then there's Lemmy Koopa. Okay. And as a kid, I didn't know what that was. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. You know, it's just, oh, that one's Lemmy Koopa. Okay. And I go on with it. And then there's later, and, you know, that, you know, in the mid 90s, there's uh, the Brendan Fraser movie, Airheads. Right. And uh, there's the, the scene where, um, you know, because, you know, it's the movie about the band that's holding up the, the record, uh, the uh, radio station to play mm-hmm. their single. And at one point they send the cops and they have a guy that comes. He's quit. He's, I'm not a cop. I'm for the record label, blah, 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 blah. And, uh, you know, they ask him a couple questions. And then one of them is like, all right, you ain't a cop. Who would win in a fight? Lemmy or God? And the guy was like, Ooh. Lemmy, wrong. God? Trick question, asshole. Lemmy is God. <laughs> you know? <laughs> but then later in that same movie... I didn't know who Lemmy was. Lemmy is, does a cameo. He's in the parking lot because, you know, they released this thing because now they, they've gotten all this. The band, you know, all the metalheads in town are really interested in them because they're these, you know, this cool metal band that's holding the, you know, the record, you know, the the studio uh, at gunpoint. So uh, people, it's like a party in the parking lot now with all everybody there to see him. They're like. You know, so they think they're going to damage their credibility by releasing the fact that the lead singer was this total nerd in high school because it's a comedy movie. And, you know, and so they go around and uh, it's like quiet because it's a picture of him like he was in the chess club and this and that. And people was like, he was a nerd. He's not one of you. And then one by one, people in the crowd are yelling out the nerdy shit that they used to do. You know, and right. like, there's guys like I played Dungeons and Dragons and one guy's just like, I used to masturbate constantly. And then like Lemmy <laughs> is in the crowd. He's like, I was the editor of the school magazine. <laughs> <You know>? <laughs> <laughs> so I didn't know who he was, but I thought it was a funny line. And then later I find out, oh, that's Lemmy. And around yeah. that time, he's also doing cameos in uh, trauma movies. And yeah, so he was in the air. Right. And. When I finally knew who Motorhead really was, was when Metallica did some Motorhead covers on Garage Inc. in like 1998. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, oh, okay. So maybe I should check these guys, this Motorhead band out. Mm -hmm. I can't really at the time. And then I finally got into them because that's around 2000 or so. Is when Triple H, the wrestler, gets a new theme song and it's by Motorhead. Right. And now I'm hearing Motorhead every time I'm watching wrestling. Right. 
So I'm like, well, you know what? I'm buying all the aces. So I buy their greatest hits compilation type thing. And I immediately I'm like, yep, this is the shit I'm into. Yeah. And, you know, so that's kind of the, the story of how the 90s went across. And I was like getting references to them all along the way. Until finally, when I was like 20, I got myself a, a Motorhead Greatest Hits CD. <laughs> there you go. So. All right. So uh, so how far, how long after that was it that you got to see him? Oh, shit. It was like another 10 years. Wow. Because <laughs> I got into him in about around 2000. No, yeah. It is sometime in around 2000 or so is when I got like my, my first Motorhead like CD. And I didn't see him until January of uh, 2011. Mm-hmm. And it was one of those things where I was, uh, I was fucking broke all the time. So I couldn't afford to just go to concerts right. for the most yeah, part. Yeah, I heard that. You know? yeah. I was working at Hollywood Video for, you know, seven twenty five an hour part-time yeah. and going to community college. and <laughs> So I wasn't, yeah. So I wasn't really seeing bands. And I wasn't really, like... You know, I wasn't really keeping a close eye on when people were coming into town and this and that. This wasn't my show going time. Right. It wasn't until I had a little bit more pocket change that I was like, oh, I need to start going to more shows. But right. I just happened to, you know, I just got fired from Target. I was collecting unemployment. So go figure. I went back to school and then I saw Motorhead is going to be at the San Diego House of Blues. Right. And the tickets weren't particularly expensive. Right. They're like maybe 30 bucks a ticket or something like mm. that, plus fees. And that's when mm. I hit my brother up, want to go see Motorhead? He's like, fuck yeah. So, yeah. you know, I had just enough to be able to afford that. And right. that was like my first concert I'd been to in a while type of thing. Mm -hmm. So I was freaking, you know, I was stoked. I went deaf afterwards, as we said before. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Motorhead is one of those bands that, like, throughout all these years of, like, the 90s, they were big enough to uh, headline some places, and then they would still open for other bands. So, it was like, you could see Motorhead headline 4th uh, and B, and then they would come back opening for Alice Cooper, or opening for Maiden, or something, or uh, headlining with some punk bands. Or just weird shit, you know. So you would always see Motorhead like in a in a weird uh, context, but Motorhead does have the um, 
the uh, distinction of being like at the greatest concert that I ever saw, which was Motorhead, Dio, and Iron Maiden at the sports arena. And that shit, it was like 04, I think. And that shit was just like, I mean, like literally, you practically couldn't take a song off, you know, for the whole fucking show. <laughs> Which you can't really say that about too many concerts because you just don't know, usually don't know all three bands that well. Yeah. You know, but we were just like, fuck, man, this shit is relentless. And we were exhausted after that shit. I was wasted, of course, too, but. You know, fucking a great time. Yeah, two thousand four. Yeah, that's one of them shows where like you have a great time and you go like, you know, I need to start appreciating shitty bands because they let me like sit down. <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah, really though. <laughs> you know, really though. That's like you know, like when I saw Megadeth and um, Slayer um, together, they had a test uh, testament opening. And Testament's sick also, but I'm not super into them. So it wasn't like mm. a mad dash to get there for Testament. <laughs> you right. know, we took our time. We got there when we got there. We caught a few right. songs from their set. Yeah. You know, and then there's been times where it's like, yeah, I saw like when I saw Ted Nugent. He had some mm. like random ass band that I'd never heard of before since opening. And all I remember is like they were kind of a bluesy rock thing, and I'm like, why doesn't the singer have shoes on? Like, <laughs> I don't know why that stuck out. But then they did a cover, and like nobody was into them until they did like a cover of "Dream On" that was right. decent enough. And like that's when all the old people in the audience are like, I know that song. <laughs> yeah, because they, yeah. you know, we're the youngest people there by far. When we went and saw Ted Nugent, <laughs> it was me and my brother. <laughs> me and my brother and his roommate went, and we're like, "Oh my god, this is all a bunch of like old Republican dudes like trying to relive their youth." I don't like this. Yeah, yeah, I'm not likely to see Ted Nugent again anytime soon. Yeah, I think he's. Uh, I think I'm done. <laughs> <laughs> all right, so um, basically. To be perfectly honest, these next uh, five albums, or really all the way, the albums all the way to the end, are not um, albums that I owned, not albums that I really got into that deep. Sacrifice was cool. I like uh, the song Sacrifice, uh, a couple of other tunes on here, but really by that time, uh, what is it? It's 95. Yeah, I'm starting to get in trouble. I don't have money for albums that much. And so I'm being more, I'm probably not going to buy Sacrifice. Yes. I was not 
overnight sensation, uh, snake bite love. Did you have any of these? No, they're the they're kind of the ones that are, you know, if something on them comes on, it's pretty cool. There ain't a you know there there's a pretty there's a consistency with this lineup where it's kind of almost like in the same record every time. Right. Um, out of the later stuff, I did have a motorizer, which okay. came out in like 2008. You know, right. Um, and I think I may have had the world is yours, but um, you know, it's just like they're kind of like doing the same thing over and over again. It's still cool. It's right. you know, this is where Lemmy's coasting on the fact that he's Lemmy. It's like he's legend mm. status at this point, up until the yeah. end. And by this time, the concerts are really hit heavy. Yeah. So, so you're getting all of the all of the songs and and uh, and a couple of songs from the new album, which is also cool because because the thing about these albums for me, even though I didn't like you know get all immersed in them or whatever, I could probably put on the world is yours right now and dig it, you yeah. know, because it's true to to the Motorhead brand as are all of these albums, which is really the kind of the defining characteristic of motorhead is that they are motorhead. Yep. And you know, yeah, that's you you know what you're going to get and this is around the time this is the time period where um but you know, metalhead, you know, uh motorhead finally wins a grammy. You know. Right. They get best metal performance in 2005, which is ironic because it's a cover of Whiplash. Um, yeah. But they're nominated previously, which is interesting because they're they're nominated for uh, their cover of Enter Sandman in 2000, but right. didn't win. But you know they're they're getting all these nominations, and then um, to cap it all off, it's you know they're they haven't been inducted, but you know they've been getting you know they finally got. You know, sadly, when the original lineup have all passed away, we talked about this extensively during our Rock and Roll Hall of Fame episode where they got nominated. They didn't yeah. get they didn't get inducted, but they did right. get nominated, which tells me, I don't know. I feel like at some point they're going to get in. Probably. Um, I do think it's what what you said before kind of rings true which is kind of lame when people like get nominated a bunch of times and then they finally get in mm -hmm. and it's like these guys have all been dead for years what changed yeah yeah for sure they, they didn't put out a new album that blew you know the roof off right you'd think i mean you'd think you'd want at least somebody to be alive for it but yeah, yeah. at this point this is why it's good that when they did nominated when i thought for sure they were gonna make yeah i thought they're going in mm. when they changed it to well okay fine then you know because people lost their shit when it was only the original lineup right because people are like no you gotta have phil campbell and mickey d that that's been the band for 20 some odd years yep and then of course the second they changed their minds like okay fine well mickey d and phil campbell are going to be part of the the nominations that people are like, what about Wurzel? Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. So it's like, shit. They, I felt like they, they've, they've, maybe they'll like reload and next year it's going to be like the original lineup, Wurzel, 
Phil, Mickey, and that'll be like, okay, this Tommy is Aldridge. The defi- <laughs> yeah, this is the definitive. These guys are going to be who we nominate if they get in. Well, well. you know, I mean, I, like I say, I'm one of those where I don't think it really matters since they're already dead now. But, I mean, it still would be better to do it next year than in 10 years, right? Yeah. Because, well, I mean... Yeah. Well, it's like I said, I think it'd be super sick if uh, they did a thing where they had, you know, have Phil and um, Mickey play with like Jason Newstead doing bass and vocals for like the induction mm-hmm. or something. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Something like that. Or they could have maybe if they played three songs, they could have different guys that could, you know, that might work. Uh, yeah. That would be that would be cool, though. Uh, that would be cool. So what year did Lemmy die? Uh, Lemmy passed away in, what is that, 24, no, 2015 or so, or 2016? That was 2015, December 2015. <laughs> Basically means that I saw them, I think, in 2004, and then I didn't see them again. Oh, no, no. Then I saw them once at the House of Blues, and then I saw them again the last time, which was 2015. It was at the Shrine Auditorium in L.A. Uh, Saxon opened, which was great because um, Saxon's a great live band. And Saxon and Motorhead, they've toured together a lot of times, and... They really are a a great ticket to see together, you know, because they're both the same, just you know, balls out hard rock type of type of thing. And uh, we had just seen Saxon a few days earlier here at uh, 
at the Brick by Brick. So we went up there, and it was one of those get-togethers. It was uh, me, uh, Juan Carlos, and George. And so we went up there, and uh, we got to the shrine. The shrine is this cool place. It's like they used to have, like, award shows there in, like, the 50s. They used to have, like, the Academy Awards there or some shit like that. It's all glitzy, and you're going there to see Motorhead, which kind of fucking throws it all on its head, right? But so we go in there, and... Uh, and one of the homies has earplugs because he knows, right? <laughs> and so we're like, nah, nah. And Lonnie's like, no, it's okay, whatever. And Saxon goes on, and they actually, uh, it was a band called Probot, uh, which they were okay, but I had never heard of them. And I, and I didn't really look them up afterwards, but they were okay. And then Saxon went on, and they were killer, and they played like a full headline set which was cool, and, and I wasn't really sure why they did that, but it ended up being that I think the reason why was because they weren't sure Motorhead was going to be able to play a whole set, because when they got when he got up there, Lemmy looked like not well. You know, he just, he looked, uh, he looked pretty fucking warmed over at that point, you know. But the one thing that struck that struck all of us, especially Lonnie, as soon as they came on, was that the volume like basically doubled from Saxon to when Motorhead came on. And all of a sudden, we were reaching for those fucking uh, earplugs because it was loud as fuck in there. And, and, you know, there's a lot of um, hype that goes on with, oh, you know, this is the world's loudest band, this is the world's loudest band, or they have those decibel reader things or whatever, whatever. But Motorhead is legit the loudest band I've probably ever ever uh, seen live. Oh, yeah. The same. You yeah. Know? <laughs> yeah. Like, my ears, I, they're probably not the same sense, honestly. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, I was... Whew, I, I was a little concerned that I'd done some like very permanent damage after I saw him and I didn't, and I'm up front yeah, and I didn't have any earplugs. Cause it's like, I ain't no pussy. I don't need these earplugs. Yeah. I should have worn earplugs cause I was a little concerned <laughs> and you know, now Roxy gets on my ass cause I can't hear shit. Right. <laughs> so yeah, it's like, I mean, motorhead probably has a very, very, uh, big role in that so mm -hmm. yeah for sure they they're uh culprits of some of my hearing loss uh, although there are probably others so uh so we saw that gig and when i got back and we talked about it i pretty much told you i go yeah i don't think lemmy's got much uh much left yeah. in the tank on this one you know and sure enough, it was probably like four or five months later that Lemmy passed away. Um, after just, you know, uh, just barely having done shows, you know. So he uh, basically toured all the way to the end. Yeah. Yeah, man. That's uh, he did. He went pretty much exactly how he had always intended to. Mm -hmm. you know, it was. You know, he was the I'll sleep when I'm dead type, you know, and, mm -hmm. you know, for the 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 lifestyle he led, um, making it to 70 is like, I'm sure he didn't anticipate that. And he lived a, a hell of a full life. You yeah. know, you can't you can't say, you know, I don't think he would have changed anything um, for sure. 
you know, he's he wanted to be like the ultimate rock and roller and he was he did that from the sixties all the way until twenty fifteen and then yep. it was then it was time. Yep. You know, and the fucking cancer that he had wasn't even what killed him. So No, yeah. <laughs> Yo, it's one of those things where I kind of like I kind of regret that I never met Lemmy. It's like, fuck, I mean, I knew where he was, you know, <laughs> whatever. Yeah. But I just never made it out there. And maybe I just thought I had more time. But, uh, yeah, I definitely would have liked to have met him. That would be uh, kind of, you know, get a picture with Lemmy. That would be, that would be fucking one for yeah. the fucking. I yeah. mean, yeah, all you have to do is go to the Rainbow and yeah. go check out that slot machine. And Lemmy's probably going to be there. Yeah. Uh, people are probably going to be like, don't bother Lemmy, but <laughs> yeah, probably. Yeah. But at the same time, I mean, he hangs out in a public area all the time. I think right. he probably, I haven't heard a story of people that met Lemmy that were like, oh, he was an asshole to me. Right. Right. It was, you know, a friend of mine, she was talking about when she was in that area, he'd come out of the rainbow when she was walking down, you know, sunset and it's like, oh my God, you're Lemmy. Yeah. <laughs> you know? And she just yeah. turned into a fucking nerd immediately because really? on top of liking Motorhead, she's also into trauma films and shit like that. Right. So she was just like, holy shit. And he was just like, oh, hey, uh. like he didn't go out of his way to like come hang out with me or anything like that. But yeah, he was very polite to her. And right. She just thanked him. You know, that's what I would have always. I wish that's the thing. I wish I would have gotten to meet him. Not so much so I could get a picture or I could get an autograph. Just so I could be like, hey, man, thank you. Like, yeah, thank you for all the music, you know, that, you know, over the years that really had an impact on me. And thank you yeah. for being an influence to so many other bands that had an impact on me. Like, if you didn't exist, like, I don't know the type of person I would be, you know. So. Right. Things would definitely be different. Things would definitely be different if there was no Lemmy. Yeah, there's no yeah. there's no Lemmy. You got no Motorhead, no Megadeth, no none of the thrash bands you like. Nope. nothing. Metal nothing. probably dies off sometime in the mid eighties. You know? Yep, yep. It becomes uh, hair metal, and then uh, and then grunge takes over, and that's it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so I guess we've come to the end of our episode, our second episode on Motorhead. So we'll be back next time with we don't know what yet, but yeah. it's gonna be good. We can't say next week anymore because it's a yeah, it's gonna a be more two weeks. Death editing process. <laughs> man, man, but you know that that's one thing. I'm getting good at this shit. You know, maybe I'll be able to uh, be like the next Martin Birch pretty soon with all my editing experience oh, cool. over here. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So all right, until the next one. This is me, Big Frog. Me, Mike Castleberry. And we are out.